Well, good morning, church. So today, we've all come together to celebrate the most significant weekend event in all of human history. Today, we celebrate the physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the greatest act of love ever displayed by anyone for any other And it assures us that our sins can be forgiven. That we can have the guarantee of new and everlasting life. For you and me, if we will embrace this, if we will seek to understand it, if we will passionately pursue it, if we will accept it, if we will choose it for ourselves, if we allow it to, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has the power to change everything. This morning, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in the room, whether you come every single week, whether this is your first time here ever, your first time here in 2022, we are glad that you are here celebrating our Lord and Savior's resurrection this morning, making this time with other believers a priority in your Sunday morning today. Generally, during this time, we have children's ministry going on across the street. I know this morning we have kids, elementary students in here with us today. I am glad that you are here, right? Jesus loved kids, right? He took time with them. He welcomed them into his presence. In fact, he said that grown-ups, those who would choose to follow after him, must have faith like a little child, to come to him. And so uh, all you guys that are usually across the street, I'm so glad that you're here today. And I'm also glad that your parents and other family members are here with you as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection. That's not a word that we use very often, is it? It's not part of our everyday speech. It's not part of our everyday conversation. It's a big word, but the explanation is very simple. Simply means to rise from the dead or to come back to life. Now, we don't use it in conversation very often, right? We don't say it very much. When our car doesn't start, we don't say, well, the battery was dead, so in order to resurrect it, AAA came out and jump-started it, right? We don't say that. Or if you're a video gamer and you're driving your car and you go off the edge of the mountain or you're running and you fall into a pit and you get your new life back, you don't say, oh, I was resurrected, right? We just kind of came back to life. But as followers of Jesus, when we talk about to resurrect, we talk about the resurrection. It is a moment where we hear that and it, is a, it brings about excitement. Resurrection brings about hope. Resurrection brings about assurance. Because almost always as believers when we're talking about the resurrection, we're talking about our Lord and Savior coming back to life being resurrected. Let's watch this short video together and help get some clarification on that. After the Sabbath, and as the sun was just coming up to begin a new week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb where Jesus had been buried. All of a sudden, 
there was a severe earthquake. The earth shook because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled back the stone that blocked the entrance of the tomb, and sat down on top of it. The angel's appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The men who stood guard at the tomb were so afraid to see an angel that they trembled and fainted. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was killed on a cross. He is not here. He has risen just like he said he would. Come and see where his body used to be. Then go quickly to Jesus' friends, the disciples, and tell them this. Jesus has risen from the dead and is going to the city of Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you all of this. So the two women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy to tell the disciples the good news. And suddenly, as they were running to tell the disciples, Jesus met them on the way. They came to him, bowed down to clasp his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, the disciples, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. not only knew on that first Resurrection Sunday that Jesus was alive, they saw him, but we uh, believers, we, we, have, uh, um, we have a confidence, uh, we have faith, we have firm belief that he not only was alive then, but he is alive forevermore. And that not only did he show his love at that day, but he continues to show his love to each and every one of us. And not only that, he wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me. Many are familiar with these words. I'm going to read here in just a moment from the book of John. John records these words of Jesus Christ. And it sums up the very reason for him coming to earth. For living a perfect life. For dying an undeserved death. And for being resurrected or being raised to life. Listen to these words from the New International Version, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, as we gather together today, we recognize that because of sin, that there has been a separation between the world and God. There has been a relationship between us and God that has been damaged, it's been severed, it's been torn apart. And contrary to what many have taught, and unfortunately many have believed, Jesus did not come to earth in order to condemn us for our sins. No, Jesus came to earth to save us from them. He came to save us from our sins. And how did he do that? How did he accomplish this task? He did it like this. First, Jesus lived a perfect life. Second, Jesus died an undeserved death. And Jesus was raised or resurrected to life. Let's talk about these. We all know that Jesus was divine, but Jesus was also fully human. Yet he lived a spotless, perfect, sinless life. Let me say it again. Jesus lived a perfect life. 
the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest evangelist missionaries that we know, he wrote most of our New Testament in letters of encouragement and instruction to the churches. He wrote to the book, uh, wrote in the Second Corinthians, a book, a letter written to the church at Corinth. And he writes this about Jesus, verse uh, 21 of chapter 5. He says, For God made Jesus Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And you might wonder, well, why is that so important? What is this offering thing, right? You and I, though, we can never be made with made right with God on our own, right? We can't do enough good stuff to be okay with God. In fact, in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant part of our Bibles, you know, the part where we have the Ten Commandments and all the laws of Moses, you know, handed down, it was declared that the covering of people's sins could only be done with a sacrifice, with the sacrifice of a lamb. But it wasn't just any lamb, right? It had to be a perfect lamb. No defects, no bruises, no boo-boos, right? Spotless, unblemished. That lamb was a point. It was a picture. It was a prediction of what was to come. A sacrifice that was going to come to be here for you and me. A perfect, unblemished, spotless sacrifice. Jesus was to become that sacrifice. And in order for him to qualify, to take away our sins, he had to be perfect. No sin, no disobedience, nothing to forgive. In order to forgive us, in order to save us, Jesus had to live a perfect life. But that wasn't enough. Jesus also had to die an undeserved death. He had to die an undeserved death. Can you imagine getting in trouble for something that you didn't do? Taking the punishment for something that you never did. One of my sons, who will remain nameless, when he was little, he had this stuffed lion. And it was a male lion, had the big mane, right? And one day, a a family friends, they were over at our house, and they had a girl that was about the same age as him. And uh, they were playing, and pretty soon he comes out with his lion, and... He has cut the mane off, clipped it down about to nothing. Now, that wouldn't have been a big deal, except when asked about it, he blamed his friend, and she got in trouble for it. Now, I hope that's never happened to you, where you were the fall guy for somebody else, right? Not that you cut your lion's mane off, but I hope you never got in trouble for something that somebody else did, where, where somebody else does something wrong, and you take the heat for it. But friends, let me tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross. That's exactly what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross, right? We know he entered into Jerusalem. People were cheering for him. They were like, Hosanna, it's the king, it's the king. Within a week, the tide of popular opinion had turned, and they were crying for his crucifixion. The religious leaders made their moves to put an end to this Jesus movement once and for all. Judas, one of his closest followers, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And in the garden, Jesus was arrested by soldiers. And though he went to trial, the Roman governor, Pilate, said, I find no fault at all in this man. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, we read these words. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas, who was another prisoner, right? And he released him to them. He ordered Jesus to be flogged with a lead-tipped whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And the rest, they say, is history. 
Though he had done nothing wrong, he was led out of town carrying his cross where he would go to a place to die, a, criminal, a criminal's death. But here's what happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took all the punishments for all the things that he never did wrong. On the cross, he took all the punishments that all of the others deserved. Let's make this personal. He took all the punishments for all the sins that we deserve. He took all the punishment for all the sins that you and I deserve. We deserve that punishment, and Jesus took it for us on the cross. But my friends, that's not the end of the story. The crowds did not have the final say that day. The Jewish religious leaders did not have the final say that day. The Roman government did not have the final say that day. Satan himself did not have the final say that day. You see, Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he was resurrected. He was raised to life. The stone was rolled away, and it put the stamp of guarantee on all of his promises regarding who he claimed to be and what he promised to do. And we celebrate that today. Let's read those verses, verses again from Matthew chapter 28. This is going to be from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I have told you. You see, it wasn't enough that Jesus lived a perfect life, although he did. And it wasn't enough that he died an undeserved death, which he did. But it was when the task was finished, when the prophecies were fulfilled, when the grave was empty, when the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was alive, that his love for us, for you and for me, was truly made complete. And his act of love changed everything. We know from the earliest believers to those who are believers right now, we see over and over that when one chooses to follow after the resurrected Jesus, that it changes everything. You see, the love of the resurrected Jesus shows us that forgiveness of sin is available for all, no matter where we have been, no matter what we have done. And it's made available through the faith in the one who died and was raised again, Jesus Christ. And the love of the resurrected Christ assures us that there is new life available to everyone who will put their faith in him. This morning, we're going to continue in our teaching series at Fork that we've called Raised to Love. We've been looking at this idea that as followers of Jesus, that because of his death and because of his resurrection, that we have been raised to a new life. And that in that new life that we find in Christ, he compels us 
to love. Because of Jesus, you and I have been made new and we've been raised to love. And his act of love changes how we love. Last week, we talked about how his act of love changes how we love our families. And this week on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be talking about how his act of love changes how we love the world. Changes how we love the world. You see, his example of love by his life and now by his death and his resurrection should change how we see the world. When we look at it through God's eyes, this should change how we see the world and it should change how we love the world. Why? Because the world, the people who had not yet experienced or accepted the love of Jesus, to Jesus, they were worth living for. They were worth loving. They were worth dying for. And if we follow after Jesus as a result, they should be worth us living for and us loving as well. Well, some might say, well, Virgil, we're not supposed to love the things, we're not supposed to love the world, right? Well, the Bible says we're not supposed to love the things of the world, but we're to love the people of the world. We're to love those who God loves. And he's called us to not simply love the lovely and the lovable but to love the world unconditionally just as he did because of his perfect love for us. It was lavish, unexplainable, incomprehensible love for the world that Jesus displayed at the cross and then backed up by the resurrection. But it wasn't just then that he showed us his love. I mean, that's the ultimate act. But all through his ministry, we see Jesus loving the world in ways that maybe seem odd or inconsistent with what just seems normal Right? Jesus demonstrated this kind of love that caused his closest followers to leave their livelihoods, to come and follow him, to be a part of his group for three years. It was a kind of love that caused great crowds to follow him, no matter where he went. And it was a kind of love that bothered the religious leaders, that went against the norm, that went against their way of thinking and caused them to despise him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all records for us the life of Jesus Christ. And throughout their books, we see detailed for us this very idea of the amazing love of Jesus Christ being played out. And if we want to allow his act of love to change how we love the world, then we need to take a good look and see how did Jesus love the world? How did Jesus love the world during his ministry? And then we need to choose to love the world the same. We need to choose to love the world the same. There's several reasons I think we could talk about today, but let me just talk about a few. See, Jesus did not expect those who had not encountered his love to behave like those who had encountered his love, right? Jesus didn't expect those who had not encountered his love to behave like those who had encountered his love. Let me clarify that. In other words, he didn't expect the lost people to act like the saved people. Neither should we. That's not how Jesus loved. But we've got that expectation sometimes, don't we? Right? We encounter mean people. We don't want to love them. We got bullies. People take stuff from us. We hear people, you know, saying bad things. We even see people believing things. 
promoting things, posting things on their social media that look nothing like the love of Jesus. And we don't like it. And it's okay if we don't like it. But the problem is, and we try to hold them to an ethic or a code of conduct or a set of morals that look like Jesus, well, they're not going to because they're not yet followers of him. In John chapter 8, we read an account where a crowd had gathered and Jesus was teaching them. And some religious leaders showed up dragging a woman who had been caught committing the sin of adultery. Now, adultery in its simplest term is when a person is already married, they already have a husband or a wife, and they choose to have a boyfriend or girlfriend as well, right? It's icky. It's also wrong. And the law of that day, the law of the nation of Israel, said that if a lady was married or a man was married and they got caught having a boyfriend or girlfriend on the side, that they were to be punished to death by being stoned, right? Having rocks thrown at them. Not little bitty gravel rocks, but big rocks, like hurtful rocks, rocks that would kill you, right? Listen, this woman's sin was certainly a bad thing. But instead of condemning her, Jesus said, well, hey, listen, whoever's never sinned can throw the first stone. We pick up reading in John chapter 8, starting in verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You see, when this woman experienced the love of Jesus, her life was changed. And if Jesus' act of love changes us, then the world should be experiencing us loving like Jesus did. Something else Jesus did was Jesus chose to love those who others chose not to love, right? Jesus didn't withhold his love from others just because people didn't want to love them, just because people didn't care about them, and neither should we. We shouldn't withhold our love from those who others don't want to love. And we've all got those people, though. We think about them, right, don't we? The political, the person who's on, on the other side of the political aisle from us, right? The people, maybe they come from other countries, and maybe they came here legally, maybe they didn't come here legally. And sometimes we struggle with loving them. We don't love the worst criminals, the crabbiest neighbor, the rude person on the other side of the checkout line. We don't always want to love the person who makes us feel poorly or unimportant at school. In Luke chapter 19, we read of a guy who was a tax collector. Right? Now, tax collectors, especially a Jewish tax collector, was working for the Roman government. And the, the other Jews, they, they considered them to be a traitor. Right? They, they, uh, they were crooks. They were ripping off their fellow countrymen in favor of the oppressive Roman government. And no one liked them. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was one of them. He was a crook. And he was also short. No offense to short people. Right? But he climbed up a tree so he could see Jesus one day as he was passing through. And much to the amazement and disbelief of the crowds, Jesus invited himself to the house of Zacchaeus. And we'll pick up reading in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. It says, He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. 
Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You see, when Zacchaeus experienced the love of Jesus, his life was changed. And if his Jesus, if Jesus' act of love changes us, then the world should be experiencing us loving just like Jesus did. Another thing Jesus did was Jesus did not expect people to change their life before they experienced his love. Jesus didn't expect people to change their life before they experienced his love, right? Jesus didn't expect people to clean up their mess, to clean up their act before they surrendered their lives to him. And neither should we. Neither should we. You see, bad habits are tough to break. Whether it's biting your nails or not using your turn signal or, you know, dropping certain bad language bombs or, or telling lies. Sometimes people do bad things and have done bad things for a long time and it's hard to stop. And we get that. But sometimes believers expect people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ all of a sudden clean up all the garbage, clean up all their stuff. Right? Clean it all up so that Jesus can really love them. Or so that we can really love them. Listen, if we could do enough stuff to clean our own selves up, if we could do enough good to be right with God, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to come and live a perfect life and die an undeserved death in our place. In John chapter 4, Jesus had an encounter at a well. And it was with a Samaritan woman. Now this culturally was not okay. Jews, which Jesus was, did not associate with Samaritans. And men didn't hang out with women at the well, especially not this one. She had a reputation. She had some bad habits. She had a messy past. Five husbands she's been through already and living with a man who she was not yet married to. But you know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't make a big deal about her sin. Rather, he told her how she could experience new life. After more conversation, John tells us, John chapter 4, starting in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. We skip down to verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. You see, when this woman at the well experienced the love of Jesus, her life was changed. And if Jesus' act of love changes us, then the world should experience us loving just like Jesus did. And the last one I want to talk about today was Jesus loved the world even when there was no love for him in return. Jesus loved the world even when he wasn't going to get love in return. 
I think we'll be honest with ourselves. It's a whole lot easier to love people when we know they're going to love us back, right? Or we're going to love people more easily when they've loved us first, right? But in these last days, when Jesus was going to the cross, there was no love from most people in the Jewish nation. There was no love from anybody in the nation of Rome. There was no love right then from anybody when he was going to the cross. Even his disciples were terrified and they were fleeing. There was no love from the Roman soldiers who hammered the nails into his wrists. But from the cross, Jesus declared, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus loved the world even when there was no love for him in return. And I hope we understand what Jesus did for us. But Jesus doesn't want us just to understand what he did for us. He wants us to participate in it by being in a relationship with him and then living and loving as he did. You see, his act of love changes how we should love the world. And when we experience the love of Jesus as he demonstrated through his resurrection, our lives will be changed. And if we have been raised to a new life, our life is changed. If we've been raised to the new life, we've been raised to a life of love. And if his act of love changes how we love, then you and I need to leave this place today loving the world in the same ways that Jesus did. Now, if you've never accepted his gift of salvation, if you've never accepted the love that he showed to us by his death and followed up by his resurrection, but you want to experience that love, I would love to have that conversation with you when we're all done here today. But for those of us who've already experienced resurrection love, for those of us who've already experienced resurrection power, remember that because of the love that Christ displayed through us through the resurrection, you and I, as followers of him, have been raised to love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this great, amazing act of love. This weekend that we get to celebrate where you willingly gave of yourself after living a sinless life to take our penalty, to take our punishment on the cross, and then to prove that you have the ability to, to fulfill all of your promises by raising back up from the grave. We thank you for that. And today we celebrate that. But more importantly, we want to change, allow your resurrection to change us, to allow your love to make us different, to allow your love to help us to love like you, to see the world through your eyes and to love the world with your heart. Help us to do that, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.